Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the What Would Chino podcast. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Now, today I have such an amazing guest, Laura Corcoran, who used to be a traditional psychologist, but she's now a holistic healer who works with people to guide and unravel their hidden strengths and power while gently exploring their wounds and teaches people techniques on how to self-heal. She believes we all have the power to transform ourselves and break out of suffering, no matter the circumstances. Now, I really aligned with Laura and everything she stands for. I've learned so much from her. And in today's episode, we speak about a lot of topics that she is very knowledgeable in and has helped a lot of people with and break out of certain patterns and limiting beliefs. So we do get into conversations of why traditional psychology is so flawed. We speak about trauma bonds, limiting beliefs, and so much more. So I can't wait for you guys to hear this today. So let's welcome Laura on. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an intro about your background and what you're doing now and how you kind of became a holistic healer. Yeah. I love this question because I don't think we reflect enough on our journey at all. So it's often when I'm going into podcasts with people and they say, oh, like, how did you get to the place that you're in now is that when I reflect and I really feel into the whole journey and the process of that. So just from a really young age, I've always attracted people in that have come to me for support or help or advice. So from a really young age, I always knew that I wanted to be a psychologist, but also because of the title. So I'm from a very low socioeconomic background, like poverty. And I felt like becoming a psychologist, I'd be one of the females in my family line to have achieved, you know, a degree a title and especially I felt like psychology you would get a lot of money so I didn't know that at the time but obviously looking back I went into it with the wrong intentions probably but obviously landed me in a perfect place so then life happened and I only actually went into study psychology in my 20s like mid 20s and through the degree I was I really like I was getting curious about the practices that were being taught and I didn't really resonate with some of them but at the time I was kind of judging myself for it, you know, thinking, oh, it's because I'm not smart enough or it's, you know, because I don't understand. was kind of like shaming and blaming myself for not applying myself as well as I would have, should have or could have in the psychology degree. And then coming out of that and then going into the roles that I went into and I've worked in so many roles, which is amazing in terms of what I've experienced. And then really landed in this place of hearing people's trauma and seeing that it came from childhood And through university, we didn't really learn a lot about childhood. And I really noticed as well in the prison systems, in addictions, in the hospitals, not many people who are in the health profession know about trauma either. So I was kind of like, you know, dumbfounded by this of like, oh, my God, you know, these people have beautiful hearts, these practitioners, but not a lot of them know about how trauma becomes stored in the body or how we react. And neither did I. So it was on at that pivotal point, it was, you know, and I'd got just gone through a separation with my partner of my children. And I thought, I really need to start to look at myself. I need need to start looking at why I keep recreating the same cycles over and over and over again. You know, because I was telling these people of what to do, but I wasn't implementing it myself. And I think this is one of the issues with a lot of therapists and healers, <laughs> you know, not actually embodying the work. Well, I see that a lot. I see you laughing. Does it yeah. resonate with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, okay, well, I can't really. And I didn't really understand energy back then either and that energetic frequency. And so when I started to heal myself and I started to look about trauma and how it becomes stored in the body and then learned about energy and then I became a breathwork practitioner and 
you know, a rank practitioner and emotional freedom technique pressure. I, I was doing all of these things around energy and how to unlock these subconscious memories so that we can actually look at them to heal them because that's basically where we're running the majority of the time. And really understanding that psychology doesn't actually give you the foundation of mind, body, soul, like as a trinity, like we need to work together with that rather than separate. And psychology pretty much works with the mind. So I was like, okay, well, if we're working with the body and I was just getting really curious about all of this stuff. And then as I was doing this and embodying my own practices and healing myself and changing my limiting beliefs and my cycles and conditionings, because I was just running autopilot for a long time, I was very distracted by life. I was very busy. I hardly slept. You know, I remember a lot of people, specifically my mom saying, maybe you need to slow down. Have you ever thought about that? And I was like, why would I do that? You know, that that would mean that I'd be with my thoughts. I don't want to do that. (laughs) All of these things. And then obviously when I went on my healing journey, I learned to obviously come become more inward and be more still with myself and cultivate that relationship with me. And then I was going back into the workspace and my body was too resistant. It was almost like my body would not allow me to go onto the medical wards anymore. I really felt the dense energy in those places. I really didn't agree with, you know, the diagnosis and the medications that were given to people. Specifically, like, you know, someone would come in with a symptom and, you know, from the DSM-5 or whatever it is that they're looking at to get this diagnosis, They'd give them a diagnosis and then they'd give them a medication and then within a week or two they were back in the ward and then they'd change it. But that diagnosis stayed on their file, you know. So this is why we end up with bipolar and depression and anxiety and BPD and we end up with like five, six diagnoses because even though it's like I saw that we're just trialing and erroring on people. It's almost like people are human guinea pigs. And until we get to like a resolve of what's going on, then they just keep pumping through the medication, the diagnosis. And I was like, but we're not actually looking at trauma. Like there's no, like, obviously when we go in and we get, you know, the history of the people, we can see where the trauma is, but nothing is actually done with that other than when they work with a psychologist and it's all mind-based therapy. Yeah. So I even looked at the ward and was like, okay, the food is heavily processed. There's no filtered water. There's white clinical rooms. There's hardly any sunlight. Like everything that I knew to be true of what we need for human basic needs wasn't actually here. And this isn't, you know, to kind of like diminish the system or, you know, what it's offering to people because it's definitely a platform that's needed for people that don't know what we know or, you know, they have no idea of how to help themselves. So they go into the system. But the issue is, is that they become trapped in the system then because there is no knowledge outside of the system of what can heal them. So that's what I started to do on my journey is like, I can't do this here. I tried to implement new programs, which I did, which was amazing around emotions and regulation rather than just kind of looking at the effect. I was looking at the cause but we were looking at years of implementation by the time it climbed up the ladder in the government and got approved. So I was like, okay, I need to pivot here. And that was terrifying for me because I was a single mom. I had no money. You know, I was in a very well-paid job. I was climbing the ladder. And because I knew about energy in the universe and source, and I knew that if I stayed attached to this job, that was energetically draining me opportunities wouldn't open up. So I actually resigned from both of those positions the day after and just fully stepped into surrendering to the path that I knew I needed to be on, which is Mm. terrifying. You know, this is 
what a lot of us are faced with and it's that willingness to take that step knowing that your body is screaming at you you know you're so disconnected and misaligned with life that it keeps pivoting you back in this journey and we just keep ignoring it until something detrimental happens and then we have no choice so that was when my journey started when i knew that i couldn't make the shifts within the system but i could see where the gaps were and knowing that i needed to i wanted a bigger change for people on a collective level and that's when i started my holistic healing and practices outside of the system and started my own journey which i think i'm 18 months in now and it's been phenomenal the people mm-hmm. i've worked with the the lives that have been changed the embodiment of my own practices my elevation and my involvement and as energy anyone that comes into your space they align with you and it's almost like this slipstream it's like the more i evolve the more i heal it slipstreams down to anybody that's in my space so they get to do it on a rapid basis as well which is just amazing to see what people are navigating through with ease doesn't get to be hard Thank you for sharing. I had goosebumps I can feel it because I feel like I'm literally you when you were younger in terms of like I'm studying psychology. There's so much I don't resonate with. Like I see so many gaps that you're talking about with the diagnosis and medication, but I'm still like in the middle of it. Like I'm not trusting myself and allowing myself to like my intuition. Like even I remember when I got diagnosed with ADHD because going back to the thing you said about it's just diagnosis after diagnosis, which is literally me. Physical symptoms, hormones. I've been diagnosed with PCOS, PMDD, anxiety, depression, ADHD. Like I had bladder issues. I feel like it never ends. And I remember I messaged you when I got diagnosed with ADHD. And I was like, what, what are your thoughts? I need you to tell me. I kind of wanted to know what the right thing to do was in terms of it. Cause I was going through an identity crisis and I remember you said it's just the ego wanting to attach itself to something. And I remember when you said that to me, I kind of had a lot of reflection because it's just another thing I get. There is an issue there and there's symptoms there, but labeling a name to my symptoms kind of made me for a while not put in the work. I kind of just allowed myself to have these symptoms and go, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's ADHD. Like I'm, I can't do anything about it rather than actually trying to mm-hmm. work with myself to get to the root cause. I feel like I'm definitely stuck in what you went through and all the gaps in the system. What are some of the gaps that you think were like most common in the medical industry? And even, did you say you worked in in prisons? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I worked in prisons. Yeah. Yeah, What what were some of the common gaps that you saw in that kind of system? Yeah. Well, when I went into the prison, a new prison had opened and they were talking about rehabilitation, like it's going to be a new way. It's actually going to be upskilling people that have had adversity and keep cycling through the criminal justice system and, you know, to give them their grade 11 and 12 and give them these opportunities, apprenticeships and really look deep into the trauma of why this keeps happening. So I was so inspired by that. And then obviously when I went in to this particular area, it wasn't anything about that. It was about stabilization and making sure people didn't die by suicide in the prison system because then that, that doesn't look good, you know, to then that prison and then they would probably close down. So there wasn't any like room for having therapy sessions with anyone. It was very minor. It was very brief, quick check-ins, a quick risk assessment, and then placing them either back into the unit where they came from or safeguarding them and putting them into a 
higher secure unit or even going into like their own single cell where they're watched 24 seven. So it was just really disheartening, you know, and I would fight in terms of like the role description. And this is the reason I came in here and I don't see any form of rehabilitation. And I understood that things take time and, you know, for time to be implemented, I understood all of that, but I couldn't even have like a 45 minute hour session with people. And even that in itself is limited amount of time. So it was a very quick, and I get there's multiple amount of prisoners that we need to get through, mm. but there was some with really entrenched trauma that I felt like we could have really made a difference to their lives. And there was many people that I worked with and made huge differences and didn't see them cycling back through. But the gaps are, is it's about stabilization. It's not actually about result. And that was the issue that I had. I was like, I didn't become a psychologist to just stabilize people. I want to help people to become free from suffering. I don't want people to think that this is their only way of life and this is their journey. And because their parents went through it, that it's their destination as well. And, you know, so I was like, I can't, again, I felt like I was in this box and confined. And even though, you know, I always have challenged the status quo, you know, probably a lot of my team leaders would be like, oh God, it's Laura coming into my office again, because I would challenge it. I was like, this doesn't actually feel right. Like, but that was that was my stake in the ground of this is what I see. It's not actually working. This is why I came into this position and I see none of it being implemented. So what am I doing here was the question until eventually I saw that there was nothing that I could do or change within that. Again, it was a fight of up the ladder, having to get their approval. It was quite clicky. So I, I needed to shift out of that space too. And even in some of the positions, you know, with the, with the gaps in the prison system, and I saw this in the mental health units as well, not so much when I worked in the community, which was great because we were kind of like the lead, like the, the, the middleman. So if I had a client come into me in the addictions field or in the community and I felt like they needed to be resourced to a particular community centre or an NGO, which is non-government organisation with whatever it may have been, then I could do that direct referral. So I knew what was going on. When you're in the prison system, you have to refer to somebody else to refer to somebody else. It's like this four, six step process, so many gaps. So I actually didn't know about the integration from when my client left the prison system into whether they got into the rehab that I'd linked them with or whether they got the support from the parole, parole office. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. It's kind of like you put these things in place and then they go out. And then when they come back in, they tell you none of it was there for them to be supported. Or when I was in the mental health units, it was kind of like this encrypted version, you know, and one of the things that we do as psychologists, especially in our degree, is learn about confidentiality. And it's, you know, one of the things that we highly regard. So, you know, one of the steps in the mental health unit was that I had to do a referral and then put it towards this these people that had no idea probably about confidence confidentiality or you know what this person's been through or anything for them to then look at it encrypt it make sure it's okay to then put it into another system and then hopefully it makes it to the actual community-based center that I wanted to go to so it was just like this you just felt like you were just constantly hitting a brick wall and I was like this is just such a flawed system you know so I again you know, I had some great supports in this particular space who were like clinical directors and they really admired 
my innovation and my courage and challenging the status quo, which was really great to have these leaders backing me. But again, you're fighting the system. So I would just get told by them to not worry about the referral system and just keep doing what I've been doing. So I built these really beautiful connections with community-based organizations and I would refer clients directly. And then they would actually let me know when the client had left either the mental health unit or the prison system and to know that that connection had been made, which was great, you know. And I looked at my stuff around this about why do I need validation of that this is actually happening? And it wasn't actually about me at the time. It was about the person. It was about them making sure that they were supported because you've got someone who doesn't feel supported. They never have, you know, they've got these limiting beliefs that they're not good enough and they're not worthy And then they go back into the community and it's kind of validated because no one's there to show up for them when they really want to make change, Mm -hmm. you know, and when they're going back into an environment that's highly triggering without support, that's when they cycle back into their addiction or their criminal activity or what they feel is familiar. And that was the challenging part for me. And that's where the gaps were that I saw. Yeah. Going back to what you said before and how you want to help people You want to teach them that they don't have to suffer for the rest of their life. I know a lot of people, when talking about mental health, it's like, well, my my parents have bipolar, therefore I have bipolar, and it's a cycle. When you were going through that and you were learning about it and you started to go on your own healing journey, did you ever incorporate any of the things you were learning about limiting beliefs and breathwork and stuff when you were in the prison system, or did you kind of just know that it wasn't right and you kind of just stepped out of it altogether? Yeah, well, the prison system was kind of one of my first roles. So I was a provisional psych Mm -hmm. and then uh, I went into a community-based centre. So I was working and supporting people with quite severe diagnosed mental health conditions. I'll put it in inverted quotes because I don't believe in diagnosis. I believe in trauma. Yeah. And then from there, I went into the prison system. I was there for three years and then I stepped into addictions, then went into a senior psych role in... So it was like a transition. So I didn't really know about the stuff that I know now in the prison. It was, I started to implement it in the mental health unit. So I used to do a lot of tapping on people and I did Is breath that- work. It's called emotional freedom technique. So you're tapping on the meridians in the body. So where emotion gets stored. And it's amazing really, because I can start tapping on someone and all of a sudden they'll just start having these emotional releases and like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And this is the thing where the mind kicks in and starts to go, what's that about? And tries to understand it. But the thing is, is that in that moment, we come back out of our bodies and the emotion of it and try to figure it out in our head. And we need to keep feeling. We're just like, oh, I don't know what it is, but it needs to come out of my body. This is amazing. So I actually started implementing that there. And, you know, some of the the clients that I were working with had quite severe suicidal ideation. So I really wanted to end their life. And when I took them back into why they wanted to do that, it was all based around childhood, always. And for us to go back into that space and change the perception, the story that they took about themselves at that time, because that's all it is. Mm-hmm. The mind creates these stories and these perceptions of like mom and dad don't love me. I'm unlovable. It's my fault. Mom and dad are always angry, you know, and, and those stories aren't true. It's not our fault. It's that mom and dad didn't know how to regulate. They were under a lot of pressure. They had their own trauma. You know, they were so disassociated, whatever the story is. But we, as children, because we don't see ourselves as separate from our caregivers, we take the blame and then we create these stories and then these stories continue in our adulthood. 
And of course, when we get to adulthood, we look back and go, it's because dad was, you know, addicted to alcohol. And of course, I understand that, yeah, it sucked, but he wasn't in a good place to raise me. But as a child, you didn't understand that. And that's sitting in your subconscious mind. So we need to go back to either feel and express that emotion completely about how unloved you actually were, or we need to tap in and change the story that we took from that time. And this is the work that I started doing. So the effects that I saw it have on the ward itself, you know, and I never saw them patients come back in, which was kind of unheard of because there's a lot of cycling through the system. Mm. But whilst I was working there, I didn't see them come back through the door. And the breath work that I use isn't your typical kind of box breathing or, you know, parasympathetic breathing, which means like rest and recover. So you slow in through the nose, out through the mouth. A lot of mine's holotropic, which gets to, again, past the ego for you to feel everything that needs to come out. And it's all, this is what I've learned on my journey. It's all about these repressed emotions. So any form of diagnosis is just repressed energy. It's just our body needs to release it somehow. So even ADHD, for example, as a child, what usually happens if there was so much stress in the environment, your brain goes offline. So then we can't even feel anything. We completely disassociate. And then 10, 20, 30 years down the track, you get diagnosed with bipolar and ADHD and depression and anxiety and all of these things. And it's like, well, you know, the simple question would be from me is, were you taught how to feel as a child? You know, how was your environment growing up? For you to get an overview of why you actually have these potential symptoms, the effects of the cause of what happened to you as a child. That's what ADHD and bipolar and even schizophrenia, like there's multiple, I could go down a whole rabbit hole with that. Yeah. But the source of it all is trauma, inherited wounds and personal wounds and collective wounds. And a lot of us don't know how to feel. So a lot of the work that I do is actually really teaching people to get back into their bodies because of disassociation, because we felt so unsafe as kids. So reteaching them to get back into the bodies in order for them to feel. And I've had so many clients, you know, that first have come in with me, you know, and discover you and they're like, I don't even know what that means, Laura. Like, what do you mean feel? Well, now, you know, six to eight months later, they're feeling everything. You know, they'll be watching a post on Instagram and they'll just feel this sadness or they'll feel this gratitude and it's a visceral feeling. You know, that literally, as soon as we bring it online, we get to feel everything in each and every moment. And that's what we're here to do. We're human. You know, a part of this journey is to feel our way through life, not to think our way through it. With the mind-body connection, I think that has a lot to do with my ADHD and even like my PMDD and PCOS. But do you have any, even autoimmune, like I know a lot of people that have autoimmune and when I've like asked some questions and got a lot deeper with them. It always goes back to trauma and childhood trauma. But I was wondering, do you have any stories of people that you've worked with that have had manifestations physically or mentally, like going back to the mind-body connection and trauma, but were they then able to heal it? So many. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's been so many instances. There's been, you know, clients of mine that have had severe eczema, that when we've actually got to the root cause of the emotion, they've been able to express it and that eczema hasn't come back and they've had it for the whole life. You know, other clients, specifically females. Yeah, specifically females in the womb space, it's where we hold all of our emotions. So PCOS, any form of PMS, 
you know, anything to do with the womb is where the majority of females store their emotions. So, you know, and often we go to a gynae. And for me, when I was 19, I was diagnosed with SIN3 precancerous cells at 19, you know, and I then always had to get checkups and had to go through quite an invasive procedure, which again, now I know is trauma to the body even further. But it's like if we are able to connect back into our feminine and fully express our emotions, because that's what we're supposed to do. Like females are emotional beings. We're highly emotional. And especially if you're more in your masculine, you'll push all of that emotion down and you'll show up as this go-getter and this driver and, you know, completely out of balance. And then it starts to manifest into these different, yeah, yeah. Then it starts to manifest in various different ways. So even for me personally, I had an experience where I actually had a huge lump. I think it was last year or the year before, I can't remember. But it's huge. It was like coming out, protruding out of my throat. I remember being, I still remember it now. I remember being one of one of my clients in a one-on-one. And I just went like this and I could feel the lump out of my throat. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> so instantly my mind just went straight into fear, as you can yeah. imagine. Went to the doctors, went and got it checked out. And whilst I was doing this, and thankfully I've been in this work and I know about metaphysical health and how everything's just emotional, like repressed emotions that's manifesting physical. Mm-hmm. And I went to the GP and, you know, I could feel my ego just wanting him to say, oh, it's not a big deal. There's nothing because I was so afraid. And then he told me to go and get a scan. And I went and got a scan and they don't tell you anything there. And I know that fear is so toxic to the body. So instantly I kind of sat, it was for two days, I sat in that space of, oh my God, I'm dying. Like, what is this thing coming out of my throat? And this is the thing is that we sit in that very low vibrational state instead of looking at, okay, what can I actually do about this right now? So I knew that obviously it was linked to my thyroid. And obviously, if you have a look at your thyroid, it's linked to your lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, how can I help my lymphatic system right now? You know, what can I do? to do like about this and the gp had told me to go get a scan and then from the scan they told me to get a biopsy because even though they said that there was a big cyst in my thyroid all my thyroxine levels and everything were normal so they didn't understand what it was but thankfully i knew that you know about emotions and it's repressed and i knew mom had a thyroid issue and i also knew my nan had a thyroid issue so i knew from that it was intergenerational wounding so i actually went to a bioresonance woman who's like a part of my earth angel she's amazing and she said it was related to self-doubt so in that moment she brought some pretty horrific stuff forward to me she said if i actually look because she was reading the energy that was stored in my body she's like if i actually if you actually go and get a biopsy they're probably going to do radiation and chemotherapy on you because you're actually showing positive for cancer markers and tumor markers so my mind was just like oh my god Like, what do I even do with this? And it came to like completely surrendering and trusting everything that I knew to be true. It was almost like this ultimate test of, okay, if you want to embody this work, this is a new level that you need to meet. So I actually refused the biopsy because I knew it was trauma to my body. I knew it was emotional repression. So I was like, okay, it's been given to me to heal. Mm -hmm. And within four weeks, it had cleared. And I went back in to, because obviously I was feeling and it's all interlinked with self-doubt in the feminine in my generational line. And I knew this was true because I battled self-doubt for myself and I was the first female to kind of break through money ceilings because we come from poverty and to go out on my own in business and to start to trust myself. I knew that there was a resonance because I saw it in my mom and I also saw it in my nan because she just stayed at home and, you know, 
the traditional woman back in the day in England. They just look after their husbands and she was an amazing woman. Mm. But never, ever had I seen her or mum step into their own power, like ever. And it was challenging for me to do this. Obviously, my body was, I was obviously resistant, but instead of feeling along my way of like, oh my God, like this is just so hard. You know, I feel so much self-doubt. I feel so much fear and resistance. Instead of feeling it, I was pushing it down and just kept striving forward. So obviously that has to manifest out physically. So within four weeks, I trusted, I surrendered, I felt through everything. I was processing all of my wounds, feeling everything. You know, there was so much anger specifically towards my mom of like, why couldn't you just step into your power? Why do I have to be the one that leads? Why can't you just do this first? Why me? Why me? You know, the victim's day. In order for me to fully feel that and get frustrated and get rage out of me in order for me to see the gifts in how I get to lead the way. And now beautifully, mom gets to follow. Like we all think that our parents have to be the ones that, take us through that pivotal point and it's just not true but we have to get all of that out of the way first for us to see oh my god like I actually get to do this I actually get to change this generational cycle I get to teach my children a different way instead of blaming and projecting and keeping in that victim state so within four weeks it was completely gone and I went back for a rescan, and the doctor was like I have no idea what happened that's okay um, but it's disappeared Yeah, so that was my personal journey, but I've seen it with multiple clients. They come to me and say, I've got this going on. It's always related to not speaking your truth, especially if it's in the the throat chakra. Like your chakras always tell you what it's actually related to. So, you know, if you have a sore throat or you're going through something, and often as well what I find is when I was going through a lot of healing is I was speaking my truth a lot for the first time. So if you think about all of the stored energy in your throat and then all of a sudden you're releasing it, there has to be a healing effect from that. But instantly I went, oh, my God, my throat. So I'm going to go to the doctor. It's killing me. The doctor told me I had strep throat. He gave me antibiotics. I said, is there a way of healing this without those? He's like, no way. And again, I trusted for three days. I just looked after myself. I rested. I drank water. I just kept affirming I'm, I'm in a healing phase because I knew I'd just spoken a lot of my truth for the first time. Mm. And within three days, it was gone without antibiotics again. So it's like really and it's a full surrender because if you think about it Lily like we have been so systemized to the Mm. medical system that we think we are going to die if we do not go to the doctor and find out what is wrong with us similar to the diagnosis I need to know what's wrong with me to know that I'm okay yeah you know and it's so disempowering yeah, that's been me my whole life. I constantly need to chase a diagnosis or a label to just reassure that it's that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a constant toxic cycle. Even I had bladder issues. I speak about this a lot on my podcast, but I had really bad bladder issues for three years. It was like a constant UTI. I'd been on antibiotics three times. They put me on antibiotics for 12 months. Mm-hmm. I saw so many different people. And then I remember this is how I found you through the Cool To Be Conscious Boys. And I stumbled across their page and they were doing breath work. And I was like, what the fuck are they doing? They're mad. And then I started (laughs) listening to their podcast and everything that they were saying was resonating with me and the way that they described themselves before they went into that whole journey. It just described me to a T. And when I start, I think I'd Mm. done breath work for a week and my bladder issues completely went and they haven't come back and just by doing breath work. I don't even believe it myself, but just by doing that practice, (laughs) someone gave me a book and 
had said that bladder issues and UTIs are tied to anger and holding on. And that's definitely what yeah. I want. And breath work has allowed me to let go and come back to my authentic self rather than living on autopilot. And I still don't understand I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is though that the logical mind wants to understand it. It's like, just don't worry. It's just surrender and trust. Yeah. Because when we go back into the mind, the mind is the thing that's creating all of this in the first place. Yeah. The, the mind is what created the stories. It's the mind that represses the anger, doesn't allow us to feel because if we feel, we show vulnerability and we show weakness or whatever the story is. And then we try and understand it with the same thing that produces stories in the first place. You know, it's so warped. So it's like trusting that our body knows what it needs to do. Like our bodies are honestly the vessel to everything. Like I, the more that we can feel as well and move every form of fear and wound out the way is the more in tune you get to your intuition. And things happen at a rapid speed. You know, this is something that I speak around manifestation. It's like we, we can manifest things into our lives, but, you know, by positively thinking and having these mantras, which is amazing. But if you have a resonance that you're not worthy, you're not deserving of it, you'll only hold it for a short amount of time and then you'll sabotage it. So we need to get those wounds out of the way in order for you to manifest money and abundance and relationships and these things that we ultimately desire to be, like be and have as a human for us to keep it, you know, so we don't have to sabotage and lose it. But the manifestation on that happens so quickly when we're in the vibration of it. We don't believe we're unworthy anymore. We believe we're deserving. But we have to be able to clear those wounds first in order for us to hold what we actually bring in abundantly. Yeah. And that this ties into, I want to talk about relationships today, like kind of dive into yeah. bonding and what well, it is that that ties into like what you were just saying. And we attract things into our life, whether that's positive or negative and whether we choose to believe that or not. But yeah, when we say that we attract the things into our life, what can that look like from a point of view in relationships and trauma bonds? I've mentioned trauma bonds a few times on the podcast, but I've never actually unpacked it and explained what it actually is. So yeah. what is a trauma bond? Well, a tra- we all trauma bond. This is the thing is that, you know, people are like, oh, people are trauma bonding, but we all do because we're all wounded. So if you think you're in a relationship where you haven't trauma bonded, it's not the truth unless you've done a lot of healing. So we trauma bond with people because we're magnets. So if we have a feeling like similar to mine, I had this belief that I was unlovable by men. I would attract men into my life that didn't love themselves so they couldn't show me love. Because no one can show you love if they, they can't love themselves. But I would be like, see, they don't love me. And I'd just turn into this kind of like, obsessive person that just tried to get their validation and tried to get their love as much as possible. And, you know, they would cheat. They would just be really disrespectful. All of these things, which I can now see was never anything to do with me. I attracted it in for me to heal that version of me, but to see them as so wounded, like I don't hold any resentment. If only anything, I hold so much gratitude that I attracted them in. But trauma bonding is where we have a resonance of the same wound. You know, so if you feel unlovable, you'll probably attract someone in that feels the same way because you're a magnet, your energy is the same. And what we often don't do is look at that and go, okay, I've got something to heal here. What we often do is we go into survival mode and we try to appease, you know, and then there's this dysregulation and then we try to go into survival mode and avoid or we'll get really defensive and have these really toxic relationships where we're having big arguments 
and then we come back and bond again to get regulated then we'll have big arguments so it happens in so many different ways but trauma bonding really is is about how we get our regulation of our emotions from the other person we don't see again ourselves as separate it's like we've attracted another parent in which we all do we all get into relationships with various versions of our parents they don't have to be the same but they will hold a trait similar to what makes you feel familiar to how you felt as a child so that's basically what trauma bonding is is that you hold similar wounds you have the same energetic frequency and what it does is it causes you to go into a survival state instead if we actually were to step back and observe and go how is this familiar to my childhood how it's making me feel and then got inward and start to heal that and from that and this is what I do in my relationship now is so much healing that you get to do when you are willing to be like have humility and take complete responsibility of the emotions that are in your body you know often what we want to do is change our partner and oh if they were a bit nicer and I'd feel a bit better and if they just buy me flowers every week then I'd feel more loved so disempowering because we don't have control over that so it's like, well, why do you need flowers every week? Like, what is that actually giving to you as a sign of that you're loved? Why don't you feel loved anyway? Or, you know, why are you wanting to change the way your partner speaks to you? Because it makes you feel worthy when they change their language towards you, where that worthiness needs to come from within. So that's an opportunity for us to step back and say, okay, I'm feeling this in this moment what is this actually making me feel like it's in my body it's my emotion have the humility to feel it instead of going into survival mode and trying to change the dynamic of everything outside of you so in a nutshell that's trauma bonding we all trauma bond i've definitely done it with my partner and every parent that partner before but the difference in trauma bonding is that you meet each other as a way of healing it's just whether you both have the willingness to heal together on that path and even if you don't heal together, having the humility of you staying in your own lane to heal everything that's in the way, so you can attract in what you desire. You then attract men that love you unconditionally or have, you know, the love for themselves where they can actually give that to you. Or you start to meet your own needs and then your partner gives you these flowers or these gifts and the feeling you get is like extreme compared to when you're just expecting them to give it to you so you feel a different way. Yeah. What are some common beliefs that you see as a result of childhood that often show up in relationships? All of them. All of them. Like (laughs) intimate relationships are our biggest triggers and our greatest healers. So it shows like everything in terms of how you felt as a child. So unworthy, unloved, unvalidated, not accepted. It can be all of it. It depends what your limiting belief is. And often we go into relationships. You know, even we can go into relationships and we track someone in that shows us love that we've never felt before and instantly we'll feel ick. We'll get the ick of, oh, like I'm not into that person anymore. But that's because you've never felt loved by a man you know, so that feels foreign to you. And instead of you actually looking at that and being like, why do I feel this way? You know, it's actually looking at like, let's heal this first and see how I feel afterwards, which yeah. brings you closer. Are you watching maths at the moment? I've watched two episodes. I mean, everyone's like watching. That's it. Yeah. So, I'm like but... obsessed with it. It's like I go in, I go into maths because I'm so aware now. It's like, I can see it so differently. 
And yeah. this came up on one of the episodes the other night and it was like, oh God, I don't know the names, I forget the names, but one of the girls like full stood in her power mm-hmm. and was like, you know, I constantly keep attracting these men in. I just let them walk all over me because I'm a nice person. I've got a beautiful heart. And this is the thing. It's like, just because you're a nice person and you've got a beautiful heart doesn't mean that you can't set standards of like, that's actually really disrespectful. Don't speak to me that way or whatever it is. If you're not willing to speak your truth, there's a wound there. But basically she stood up for herself and he tried to speak over her. Mm-hmm. And she went, no, actually, it's my turn to talk. You spoke yesterday and you didn't actually give me any any room to talk. And he's like, yeah, right, oh, teacher. Okay, dad, go on. That in that moment is full trigger of inner child, of a woman exerting her power and him feeling diminished and disempowered. So he tried to get it back, you know, and this is where often we can go, are oh, you just not the person for me, you know? And it's like, well, if you actually looked at why you were so highly triggered and chucked a tantrum like a child, because obviously in a child wound came up in that moment and had some humility of like, why is that making me feel so disempowered specifically towards the female, which would mirror his mum probably or the main female caregiver in his life. And then them have a really beautiful conversation about how they were both feeling. And that's what happens is often when we're met with our wounds of like not actually validating or giving in or whatever it is, the cycle is that we're used to, we can feel like, oh, I just don't love that person. I'm not attracted to them. I'm not this. I'm not that. And that's because you're not trauma bonding. It's the complete opposite. You know, you've got someone that's bringing things forward for you to heal, but you don't have the humility to look at that and go, well, maybe this person is for me. And because it's so different to what I'm used to, I need to look at that instead of going for the girls that I can have power over all the time so I can feel like a man and I can feel in control. Well, what would you say if you've got two people in a relationship, one of them is very aware of the wounds that are in the relationship and the trauma bonding and is open to healing? They're obviously not perfect. Things keep coming up. They're trying to work on themselves. They're becoming a different version of themselves. And the other person is very closed off to it won't admit that there's anything wrong. They had the perfect childhood. They're not open to going on this growth journey, things like breath work. And you genuinely love them, but what would the best piece of advice you would give to someone in that situation? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, a lot of people come to me and say, I'm not feeling fulfilled in this relationship. Should I leave? Mm. I never give advice of whether you should leave or stay. But for me, it's like stay there until you see that, there isn't a willingness on both sides and that you're not evolving anymore. So if it's Mm -hmm. diminishing you and you're staying small, then that's an opportunity for you to have some humility in that and say, is this relationship helping me to evolve in the person that I came here to be? Because the thing is, is that it's not your partner's responsibility to help you evolve. It's yours. So, you know, similar for me, and this has happened in my current relationship is that I'm like a bull out of the gate with my healing like as soon as an emotion comes in I feel it I'm through it I'm you know next level my partner you know he's he's been on this healing journey for a while but met with resistance and it, it depends on your path as well and the first point of any form of anything is denial which it sounds like if someone was saying I had the best childhood there's nothing wrong with me I'm not interested in opening myself up It's denial. Some stuff happened. It happens to all of us, but there's definitely some stuff there that needs to be looked at. And that's having the humility and knowing what the first part that we need to get through is the the denial phase. And what happens is is ebbs and flaws in relationships. We're never going to be in complete harmony and balance 
but I'm just like so committed to staying in my lane and to heal myself and to get into my desire that even when my partner wobbles, he eventually resolves and comes back. So when when you can see that they have a willingness in some way to be open, because they don't have to be the same as you, yeah. but have an openness to being interested in what you're interested in or supportive, you know. So even when my partner would be resistant or kind of go back into his box, he was always supportive of me, like, yeah, babe, go do that. Like, you're amazing. Like, I love that you're doing that. Even though he wasn't doing it, he would never stop me. But obviously, if there's a the place in the relationship where you're growing and you're evolving, you just meet in this brick wall because your partner doesn't have the willingness and it continues like that, then that's an opportunity for you to assess whether this relationship is helping you to grow or not. Yeah. And then you make a decision from that space. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. answer. I think. Well, what about another one? Well, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I think I'm in a trauma bond. I think every romantic relationship that I've been in or even even like a fling or something it's always the same I'm getting treated the same cheated on you know it's emotionally abusive all we do is fight and then to make up and regulate ourselves maybe we do things have sex to feel connected again and it's constantly happening and I keep finding myself in this situation with men I know that there's a deeper wound and a belief that this is stemming from what are some of the steps that I can Mm. start to take to try and heal that or start my healing journey of that belief that is someone is holding on to. Yeah. So awareness would be your first step for anyone. So whenever you're being triggered in a relationship, you have to have awareness of it's all childhood stuff. Mm. So if you're feeling unloved or unworthy or you're not heard, where did you feel that as a child? And often there's a lot of disassociation. So we don't have memories But you still feel that now if you have your mum and dad in your life or the main caregivers in your life, you'll still know whether you were heard and seen and fully accepted for who you were as a kid or whether you were loved in the way that you needed it back then or had your safety needs met. You know, there's multiple things. So the first point is awareness of like getting aware of how your partner is bringing up the past for you. So where is there a resonance that you felt this way as a child and who is it linked to? Because predominantly if we're triggered by a man it's often dad and if we're triggered by a woman it's often mom but if mom was quite masculine a man can trigger mom wounds off and if dad was quite feminine then a female can trigger you know dad wounds off so it depends like where in their masculinity and their femininity that they are so that's a rule of thumb to anyone. Like if you're triggered by anyone in your external environment that's male or female it's often related to versions of your mom and dad So then it's like looking back at your childhood and going, where did I feel this way? Like, where did I feel unheard? And feeling where that is actually stored in the body and start to feel the sensations and sitting with it. And this is the hardest part for people is that the willingness to sit with that emotion when they've never felt it before, the ego will try and distract. It's like unknown territory, you you entering into a threat zone. It will try its hardest to distract from all of that and get you to check your phone and get you to put the kettle on and get you to go breathe or do something else other than feel. And it's having that willingness to sit there and feel. And it's so important to get support through this. And as you know, that's what the kind of support that I offer. But when you've got someone guiding you through it and telling you exactly what it's linked to, then it's so much easier for you to get to it. But it's having that awareness of looking back at where is this related to my childhood? It's actually not related to my partner. 
and then changing that part of you rather than try and change the no and control the situation like with arguing or trying to get your point across or trying to be seen and heard because you just it just goes nowhere especially if it's a wound can this stuff come up in mm-hmm. friendships as well yeah. yeah yeah any relationship yeah but it's okay. it's more triggering in intimate relationships because you're opening yourself up more you know you're mm-hmm. opening your heart up more it's more intimate it's more triggering in those relationships because you're opening yourself up to love and to pain basically heartbreak when with friendships even though it can be triggering and hurtful it's not as you know entrenched as when you're in an intimate relationship with a partner but what we often do when we're in relationships we run we're like oh i don't want to do that was me i've ran from relationships if i felt like because i had an abandonment wound like in a rejection wound if I felt like they were going to leave me first, I would leave first. So then I didn't yeah. have to feel that. But what yeah. I was doing is I was, you know, and I did that in my current relationship twice at the beginning of our relationship. I just was like, I'm not doing this. I deserve better. See you later. But when I actually looked at the truth of it, it was because I was worried that he was going to leave first. And that related to when dad left mom when I was four, you know, so it all relates back all of the time. So then I had to sit in the uncomfortability when my ego was like, just get the hell out of this relationship, like now. I sat in the fear of me going nowhere in order for me to fully release it and grieve. And I've never had that since. And our relationship has been, you know, challenging as all relationships are, but I've never felt the need to run, not once. Well, going back, like what we spoke about at the start with, diagnosing people when you said that you would often run because you had an abandonment wound did anyone ever bring up borderline personality disorder because I feel like a lot of people when they're aware of that abandonment wound that's what traditional psychologists will often label them as like that's what they have because I know there's a girl that's kind of in this field and she was diagnosed with BPD and you know she suffered with a lot of things but since doing this work she actually says that she's in remission and she doesn't meet any of the criteria now for the DSM-5 for BPD. But if you were sitting in a psychologist's office, they would tell you that that you have this for the rest of your life and we just have to try and manage it rather than cure it. Yeah. I know. It's it like even it sends chills down my body when you even just said that, like mm-hmm. to give someone a label. And that's the thing is that that confirmation bias is like you'll go into a psychologist's office or into the system, into hospital or whatever it might be, and they'll see that you'll have a label of BPD and the judgment is yeah. huge to start with. Oh, God, you know, she's back again or they've got BPD. She's definitely borderline. You know, all of that stuff is yeah. kind of like spoken about in the fields of where I worked. So there's a lot of judgment and stigma around it. But borderline personality disorder is just this regulation. We don't know how to regulate our bodies emotionally. So, you know, DBT was amazing for this when I was working as a psychologist. Now I got trained in it because mm-hmm. it was all about how to regulate your emotions. But again, we weren't looking at why they were so dysregulated. So obviously to learn how to regulate your body first, especially if you have dysregulation, because, you know, if you diagnose the BPD, it's like you can go from one extreme of emotion to the next very quickly. But who doesn't? You know, kids do it. So it's like, do they have BPD? Because my son definitely goes from rage one second to crying the next to laughing the next. It's like, it's just, it's just craziness, these labels. And then you get told that this is you for the rest of your life. 
So what kind of hope does that give anyone? Yeah. And it's just not true. I, I believe that any form of symptom is what I like to call it can be fully healed, can be yeah. fully healed. I've seen people with ADHD, dyslexia, BPD, whatever, depression, anxiety, all bit bipolar, all being like incomplete or remission from these symptoms because they're willing to do the work and actually connect back into the bodies to learn how to regulate themselves and to feel and move into what they're actually passionate about in their life and not getting consumed by what they were told that they should be in life, you know. And that's what I'm so passionate about is like we are our own individual person. Like, yeah, we have parents, but, you know, like if anyone's read, I think I may have told you about this, The Letters to Asasi by Rebecca Campbell, Changed My Whole World, yeah. about detaching from our parents. Like we don't owe our parents anything. We actually chose them to birth through, to learn and evolve. And it's a completely different perception. And then I, I kind of like, oh, I actually don't owe my parents anything. I don't need to do what they tell me to do. I don't. It wasn't like this rebellion. It was like this freedom of like, I am actually my own person. And I get to choose who I want to be in this world and what I want to experience and how I want to evolve as a human, whether they agree with it or not, whether anyone agrees with it or not. You know, and that's the path that I go on and that's the path that I encourage everybody everybody to go on. And obviously there's so much disruption around that, so much disruption because it's like, what do you mean? You know, like, isn't that selfish? And you're just thinking about yourself and not actually worrying about your parents and everybody else. And it's like, well, no, actually what's selfish is that you are giving yourself away to people without the right energy, being a disservice to them and not fulfilling your own path. When you actually fulfill your own path and you're in the right energy and you, your, your energy is so vibrant and then you show up to meet your parents even when you need to kind of have a little wide birth from them or anybody yeah. is when, you know, that is being of service to other people. That is, you know, the selfish part is you're not showing up for yourself first. Yeah. You're selfish in my eyes. I know the whole parent topic is a conversation that I could talk about for hours and I even have so many questions for you about that, but we've already been recording for an hour and I do have some questions that the listeners asked us. If that's okay, if we could go through them quickly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the first one we have is how to heal the part of me that always catastrophizes. Yeah. So catastrophizing is the mind. So it's going into predicting the worst case scenario so there's something there that you're not willing to face, whether that's like danger, like threat of life. So you might have a belief or a fear of death or a fear of failure or a fear of there's going to be a fear. That's the catastrophizing is trying to come up with all of the scenarios. So you meet it first. So you're not walking in and being faced with it without you knowing. It's just the fear of the unknown. So if you think about the fear of the unknown, we all have to walk into the unknown. It's what life is, you know, unless we live in this bubble and then this is when we disconnect from the world and ourselves. But when we catastrophize, the mind is trying to create stories so you actually avoid going into the potential threat of failure or death or being unloved or being rejected or being abandoned. And, again, the catastrophizing, the mind created that story in the first place. And then it's trying to figure out how to avoid it because it's terrified of you being met with this particular emotion where you need to meet the emotion so you can clear it and then never fear that again. Yeah. So you need to feel to heal. Oh, yes. It's all about feeling. 
yeah. all of it. How do we release trauma from the body? Yeah, so releasing trauma from the body is about feeling. So obviously, first of all, if we've disassociated for so long, you need to do practices to reconnect in. So breath work's amazing for that. Dance is amazing for females and for males, but more specifically to get into your feminine. Yeah. And when I talk about dance, I'm talking about slow movement with no words. So just some form of slow song where you actually get intuitively guided to connect to your body. So if your arm is like wanting to move, you move your arm, your mind will be like, this is ridiculous. I remember one time, you know, my whole body wanted to go to the floor and my mind's like, why are we wanting to go to the floor? I'm supposed to be dancing. Just ignore the mind and do what the body needs to do because this is you reconnecting to it and the dancing part, what happens. And it took a good couple of weeks for me because to not feel like an idiot and to not judge what I was doing, to break through that. And now when I dance, I viscerally feel the energy running through my body. So I'm so connected. So there's so many different practices, but have a look at how to reconnect back to the body is through stillness the majority of the time and sitting with yourself, breath work. And dance is huge as well. So we need to connect back to the body first. And then it allows us to start to feel everything that we haven't felt. But the whole key in this, and this is what's hard, and obviously that's the, that's the kind of work I do with people, is that it's so hard to feel because we're so disassociated from our day and running from autopilot. Like, it's really hard, but the, the key in everything is to feel every single thing throughout your day. Feel the excitement, feel the joy, feel the sadness, feel the anger. Like anything, just feel through it rather than ignore it and be like, oh, that's all right. I'll just ignore that even though I feel like shit. You know, even though I feel really hurt right now, I'm not going to feel it. I'm just going to have a coffee and increase my energy and move on with life. It doesn't move on. It stays. It stores. It doesn't go anywhere. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it stores. Yeah. yeah. Any tips for healing PMDD or endometriosis? We spoke about that yeah. with like the feminine energy and being in your masculine. Yeah. And not sinking into kind of like nurturing yourself. Like there's no nurture. It's like do, do, do. And I've seen a lot of this with women that have given birth, you know, so postnatal anxiety, postnatal depression, postnatal this, postnatal, like there's a lot of that where what happens is we've got these stored emotions and I worked with a couple of women that had postnatal anxiety that's turned into kind of like suicidal ideation and all of these things and OCD and all the rest of it. But what happens is like we have these wounds within us and some of them are inherited and then we give birth to this little being that not only changes our body but we're then accountable for this little thing and it's just fear ignited so then obviously your body has to show you something in order for you to look at it but then we go to the medical system and they just fix the effect they actually don't get to the cause so our kids bring everything up so if you're a new mom and you're in fear it's because it's ignited something that was already kind of festering below within you anyway that you've repressed for a really long time and then it's like you're faced with this baby that you're responsible with and you can't ignore it anymore. Last question. How to stop taking other people's emotions so personally? So this is a bit of a journey, but obviously if if we are, because this is the thing where we're like, oh, I'm sensitive or I'm an empath or, you know, I absorb people's emotions. It's just not the truth. And I can say this because I used to be one. And now I can hold a group full of women who are, you know, emotions galore and not absorb a thing. So 
if we're absorbing energy, there's a resonance of a wound there that's hitting us. So if we're holding space for a friend or, you know, our partner's angry at us or angry in general, and we're like, oh my God, what have I done? We've gone into survival state. There's a resonance of a wound that we need to look at because what, what happens when you clear the wounds, you can hold space and have people have emotions and you're not affected by it at all, like at all. So the way that we stop taking things personally is understanding that everybody is in their ego. Everyone is in autopilot. Everyone's in the subconscious space. Unless they've done a lot of healing, they're just thinking about themselves. They're wounded. They're triggered. They're having an emotional reaction. It actually has nothing to do with you, but they're projecting that emotion onto you because they've not been taught how to have the humility and bring it back in to look at it. So in that moment, they might be angry or blaming you for not putting petrol in the car or why didn't you make dinner or why didn't you, I'm just talking about relationships here or whatever, but it's just bringing something up for them and then the the projecting it onto us. But the thing that we need to have responsibility for is it's coming to our law of attraction. We have attracted that in to heal something that's unresolved within us. So that's when we look at what is this making me feel? It's making me feel unappreciated okay, well, feel that unappreciation and then look at how much you're showing up for others before yourself because there's an expectation that's triggering you and you feel unappreciated. So it's it's like a, it's it's looking at yourself and this is the hardest thing for people to do when we've all blamed everybody else for our stuff, you know? Yeah, I feel like I needed that little reminder because when, like you said, when you do go down the healing path and you start to incorporate a lot of that stuff into your life, that's when you not only become self-aware of yourself, but of other people. Like I know I notice a lot of people yeah. who, like I was someone who took things very personally. Like I still struggle with it, but now like I have a bit of an understanding of pretty much everything that people project. It's it's a projection of their own insecurities. And that's why I've mm-hmm. kind of learned to not take things so personally. But the universe is trying to teach me something in that because I do still have people in my life that, project their insecurities and it kind of makes me reflect on why I'm allowing certain behaviors and relationships in my life. I'm attracting these people into my life because I know there's a bigger lesson that needs to be learned because I haven't learned yet. Yeah. You're not stepping into your power there in place. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're projecting stuff onto you and this is, this is the thing is that the most loving thing to do is hold people to a standard. We think the most loving thing to do is be quiet and just let them stay in that, stay in that state. Mm-hmm. The most loving thing we can do for anyone is say, it's not actually okay that you do that. You know, these emotions are in your body. I love you, but you need to go feel them and then come back when it's cleared and we'll have a chat. Yeah. You know, and that is empowerment. That is unshakability. That is certainty within who you are. So my partner or a friend can be popping off or my parents and I'll be like, I'm not really sure why you're projecting this onto me right now when there's something going on for you, but I, I'm more than happy to speak to you about it. But what's going on right now, it actually isn't okay. So why don't you go take some time to yourself and then come back and have a chat to me when you're ready. Yeah. And you say it like that. Where before I was like, oh my God, they're really angry. I've got to like, I'm just going to make dinner and pretend everything's okay. And, you know, it's the standard. Like it's actually really unloving behavior, what you're doing. And I'm actually unloving if I don't hold you to that standard because you're better than that. So go feel your feelings and then come back and have a chat. Thank you so much, Laura. One question that I do ask my guests at the end of the episode, though, is what is one piece of advice you wish you could give to your younger self? To trust myself more. Yeah. 
Mm. I think that's still a journey for me, especially the more you evolve, it takes a massive trust and surrender. But I wish I would have trusted myself when I got the messages earlier. But again, divine timing. So, but it's definitely a message. If I could rewind time, it would have been like, just trust yourself. Just listen to what you know to be true and to be right, even though it's against everything that you've been taught and to keep following that. We have intuition for a reason. Yes, we do. (laughs) Where can we find you on your social media? Instagram is my main platform. So Mm -hmm. I'm her successful mind on Instagram. I'm on TikTok as well under the same heading or Facebook is just my name, Laura Corcoran. But the majority of my value and free masterclasses and stories and content is always on Instagram. So I definitely pop on there. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you so much. I seriously appreciate it. My pleasure. That was amazing. See you, beautiful.